Welcome to the Product Bakery Podcast. My name is Christian, I'm Alex, and together we present you the ingredients to build the right products. Welcome everyone to a new episode of the Product Bakery Podcast. I'm here today, as usual, with my co-host Christian and with Sebastian Sabonet. I hope I said it right. <laughs> Hi, guys. <laughs> Hello. Nice to be here, guys. Hey Thanks there. for having me. <laughs> A short story about who is Sebastian. I was in 2019 at a conference called the Product Management Festival. And once I was listening to your presentation, Sebastian, I realized it's time for me to quit my job and start working as a product coach. <laughs> it was back then oh, the God. first time I, I heard that name product coach and also the concept behind it. So I said to myself, hey, this is exactly what you want to do. I just saw him speaking behind him, a couple of slides with spider graphs. And I was like, okay, that I need. From that <laughs> point on, I was working towards that goal. Nevertheless, uh, it's not about me as always. It's about you, Sebastian. So you started your career originally as a journalist, but then moved into project management, product management, and moved all the way up to the head of product position, which you are fulfilling right now at the Founders Factory. Maybe you can tell us what the Founders Factory is and what you are doing there. Yeah. I'm happy that you have found your goal then, Christian. I was a bit worried there about you quitting your job. That was not my intention. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I'm, as long as you're happy, I guess I'll take credit for that. So, uh, yeah, so I can tell you a bit about Founders Factory. We are a corporate-backed accelerator and studio. What that means is that we have investments from bigger corporate uh, institutions. So if we take London, for example, we have The Guardian, Aviva, L'Oreal, EasyJet. And the overall idea is that if we could capitalize, use, use some of that capital that big corporates have and do what they are notoriously really bad at, which is creating early stage, either creating early stage ventures or investing in early stage ventures, so mm -hmm. corporates have venture arms where they may potentially invest in later stage, but just early stage investment is and creation is really difficult. So what we have done, what we do to those corporates is we say that we are going to invest in a set of companies and create a set of companies per year. And that creates the two different programs. So on the investing side, we have an accelerator program, which is compared to other accelerator program, a bit different in that we, we do it completely bespoke and we don't do cohorts. So you as a startup can start whenever suits you best. Mm -hmm. We also have a big operational team. We have everything that you as a startup might need when you join. So product engineering, growth marketing, investment, legal, etc. And we will essentially become not so much like an extension of your team, but you will get, it's like less about mentoring, but more about teaching people how to do things and then them mm. retaining that knowledge. And, and in the studio science, we try and create companies from scratch using insights that we get from corporates and from our own team and our own insights. Try and create like concepts and prototypes and validate that early on in the market. And then we try and attract a CEO or a founder to that idea. And then we help them go from basically zero to one, building the initial product and building the initial team. 
in the hopes that will become like a really successful business in the end. And we've been going for almost five years now, I think, with um, a studio in London, New York, Johannesburg. And uh, and yeah, it's good fun. So with the studio, does this mean that I could pretty much apply as a CEO or for a CEO role and you would equip me with a package, which is like already like the kind of idea and uh, a first product in place that I would then like scale from there? Or how can I imagine that? Yeah, it will depend a bit on what type of uh, project there is, but essentially, yes. So the deal is that we give you £250,000 in cash in two tranches. They, and we mm -hmm. take 25% and the rest and the 75% is yours. Or like uh, you, yours and the team and whoever is investing going forward. So essentially, you will become like the owner of that The, the, the majority owner of that idea, essentially. With Founders Factory, we act as a co-founder and you get a dedicated team and you get access to all of the resources at Founders Factory as well as part of the deal where we together will build out this product and help you spin out into a proper company after that. So essentially, you're actually a Founders Factory employee founder in residence until we incorporate the company. Mm -hmm. How is your day-to-day -day business as a head of product that helps other companies to build products? Yeah, so that I guess is, is why the that's how the coaching part the, came into it in in the beginning. Mm -hmm. It's that because what we do is not necessarily product management on a day-to-day. -day. Me and the team we have created this product coaching framework, which you mentioned that you've seen as well, Christian, early on. That I'm sure we yep. will get into potentially in a bit more detail later but the day-to-day -day is essentially a mix of hands-on coaching with the with founders or teams that have where they have like product ownership where we take them through the the product coaching framework it's also like getting our hands dirty and actually doing some of the product management work if needed especially products that are maybe like a little bit in the in the beginning And it's facilitating workshops. It's like showing best practices. It's a, it is mostly what you would, what you, I think what you would see like senior or lead product people do within companies anyway, but more focused on like actually building businesses as well. That means you are fully focused on the early stage development of the products and of the team, right? Yes, more or less. Yeah, yeah. So we don't, everything that Founders Factory does is seed stage. Yes, so from our early seeds and, and then hopefully when they have graduated like some like the program for a year or so they would probably go for like a series a but i would say the majority of the companies that are within our programs at any given time would be in seats at seat stage yeah i hear quite often the question oh. from product leads and heads and product people in general how does the whole process look like from having an idea to going live with it yeah how do you think about that It's a million dollar question, right? Because I don't think, I think that everyone is looking for the recipe, but essentially it doesn't, it's not necessarily as easy as that. I think. For recipes, think you early, have the product bakery now. That's why I'm asking. Yeah, exactly. When <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Let's try and get as many bakery metaphors in as possible. It, it put the money out, we just focus on the recipe. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I think that the, I can tell you what we do in terms of what I think is most important that I think is potentially useful for people to listen. 
As with any product development process, it's always important to focus on the learning, obviously. It, early on in a product, it, that's probably even more important because you have less resources, you have probably less budget, etc. So you really need to focus on getting as mm. most value out of like as little as possible and really focusing on getting um, to know your customers, the, the people that you're building for, Mm-hmm. as much as possible and that includes not always being successful so that includes like showing people and customers things that you naturally probably aren't going to build or have built and probably are going to revert i'm a big proponent of hypothesis driven development as well for a couple of reasons one i think it focuses people and teams to construct a problem in a very succinct way it's also naturally you can only disprove an hypothesis as well. So that lends itself easier for people to think that actually this might not work and mm-hmm. hence get more learnings from that. So if I were to like draw like a straw man from idea to, to something going live, I think that the idea stage, I think that what's important is to give as much creativity room as possible, like really expand what is possible and what is not possible. And then I would probably start thinking about using, when the idea has crystallized a bit, I would probably uh, suggest to do some sort of like canvas exercise where you can either use like a business model canvas or like your own version of the canvas, depending on what you're familiar with. But just so that you can see the idea, not just as a concept, but as like a, what are the different parts and what is important. And from that generates like hypothesis on what is what is the most what do we know the least about here and like where is the most important to start probably some sort of prioritization of that and then moving into a sort of like more iterative process where you build something you learn something and then you iterate moving forward working towards having something that is probably very hacky in the beginning more prototype so if you then have a set of hypotheses that you're that you tested or want to test you can move into a more of a build that measure learn type process focusing on what is the smallest thing that you can build to learn and i think depending on what industry you're in or what you're focusing on this or if you're b2b or b2c that can be like different things and different i don't think that there is a recipe for what is the right test etc but utilize as much Mm -hmm. as you can even if that's like something no code if that is surveys if that's doing lots of interviews just anything that makes you that puts you in front of the customers as much as possible. One thing that is always uh, interesting to me or that I also get sometimes as feedback from clients is how and when can you actually show something to customers in terms of I see a lot of people being afraid that ideas might get stolen if you launch something too soon or if let's imagine you're still in a prototype kind of phase and you would landing page test something so you you actually show people your idea before you build it what's the best timing i guess there is two different there's always that scare i guess for me i think that an, an idea in itself has very little value so i think that as early as possible is always my answer to be honest Mm -hmm. i have yet in the 10 years I have done this, yet seen an actual idea getting stolen. So I don't know really what that like notion actually came from, but you will have the, you will already have the leverage anyway. And I think that if that is an excuse not to talk to customers or prolong to talk to customers, what I would say is 
I would say weighted up with with the risk of not talking to them and building in a vacuum where <laughs> you they might you might be spending money and building something and then they, your yeah. customers won't won't like it. So if that is a risk of you, if that is something that you're really considering, then do a, do a risk analysis on like what it would be if you didn't do it. Mm-hmm. It's the blunt answer. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's it's always hard to answer it because there is some entrepreneurs simply have this fear of, or they see the value as very expensive. While I think usually, as you say, ideas are cheap. It's probably anyway something that many already built. So you can simply launch it and or get it into the hands of the users. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I but think this- a lot of time. Yeah, I think that a lot of times people forget that products and services are also the, sometimes the, like the same thing. So not everything that you present, like when you're trying to, when you're trying to learn something, you can make it as small or as big as you want. You don't have to show the entire pitch deck to someone or like Mm -hmm. your entire plan. It could be like as minuscule as you're trying to figure out how someone would interact with a very specific part of your product. You can do that in isolation without having to, without giving everyone the big context at times. Mm -hmm. So if you are feeling a bit apprehensive about that you can break it down and do it in, sm- in smaller chunks uh, and then i think it's also very hard even if you sit in on an interview or if you're listening to someone's idea i think it's really hard to even then get like the full understanding of what the service is that this person is trying to build and what the vision is for it so yeah there really isn't like many i don't think that there is. i can see why it would be uh, what people should be thinking about protecting their ideas, of course, but I don't see it as a reason for not talking to your customers. Yeah, I think it's just getting it out, getting yeah. it out as early as possible. Done and is better than perfect. Yeah, and ideally you yeah. even... I, I, I love the idea of not only getting early feedback, but even getting early signups, yeah, put them on a sure. list and they're interested in. And uh, mm-hmm. maybe it's a first sale that you... Also getting have. early yeah, ideas, how you can make it better. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And when I, when actually, I have an idea yeah. and start talking to people, then I realize, wow, there are so many more crazy things you can do. And without a conversation, I would never have thought about it. Yeah. No, I think that there's a lot of people taking off their, what good companies are doing, good products are doing these days around, like what you said, Christian, around like building this community of early users to get feedback or doing something crazy like superhuman and having a very strict onboarding process where they ensure that someone is using the product as they mm-hmm. intended. The, the last thing I want to mention in terms of zero to one, which is sometimes overlooked, is, th- is really thinking about building your, your first team. And like, who do you want to have around you that you think can execute on mm-hmm. and really build like a, a business for you? Because I think that mm-hmm. there, is, there is quite a lot of focus especially, and all the time around building the right product, building it in the right way and building it for the customer, et cetera. But you're also building a business and a company. So really try and think about who are the people that I want to have around me, who's going to help me grow this business yeah. and for us to grow this, for us to grow this um, company. Because regardless oh. of how many good ideas you have or mm-hmm. how good you are at executing yourself on that, if you hire wrong or if you think, if you're not really thinking about the team early on, you're going to lose a lot of momentum. I was just about to ask regarding zero to one. So let's say you have a motivated CEO with a spec idea that makes sense to start working on. 
How do you step in your role to empower them or to help them to build a business and to hire the first, for example, product manager and establish mm -hmm. a product and engineering mindset within a company? Because we see many companies out there who are maybe very sales driven or very engineering driven, but on the other hand, not product driven enough or vice versa. So how do you find the balance and how do you support founders with that? Yeah, so at Founder Sector, we try and find, we try and find for each of the projects in the studio that we're building, we're trying to look at what is the best archetype at that given point to be like the founder or the, the, the CEO or the co-founding team, um, etc. Sometimes mm -hmm. it's, sometimes we think it, it would be good if they had a product ex or engineering experience. And sometimes we think they would be better if they had more of a sales and commercial experience. Either way, in order for us to get to, in order, what, the way that I think about instilling good product thinking and product coaching is to empowering founders to see what good looks like and to be able to be part of that journey. So early on, we will probably be a little bit more hands-on and showing best mm -hmm. practices and probably like executing on some of that product management stuff, setting up the process, doing a lot of, doing a lot of the heavy lifting. Um, with the founder always present with the idea that they would take over the ownership of the products at some point to be able to like, if they want to go down that route of being the founder with the product ownership, they can, they, we will then equip them with the tools that they can, mm -hmm. or if they want to hire someone, then, then at least they know what they're looking for. Because what people forget is that product is such a nuanced world. There's so many people with so many different experiences and there's not really like one definition from it, like for exactly what it is. I think we're still evolving that craft of what it really means to be a good product person. So taking someone through that journey of we think is important for you and what we believe is going to be important for you for the like maybe for the next couple of years really helps like inform that person like when they're going to do that hire. Do I want someone with a bit more technical experience? Do I want someone who's a bit more design focus? Do I want someone who has done that before? I mean, there's many, there's many ways that you can achieve. We also help in the hiring process of the first product people as well. But I've seen so many mishires of product people yeah. before and even before Founders Factory. People who've needed hire to be and like potentially someone who would like, for example, that poor at on paper might have looked really good, maybe been in like a, been in like a big company at let's say like an uber when they were late to stage and has a lot of experience of running like maybe a big engineering team and coming and working at a startup and then being a bit of a mismatch or hiring to a junior mm -hmm. early on yeah. potentially so yeah so it's getting them to understand and feeling that they really do understand what it is that they're looking for and the coaching framework really helps with that as a founder what should i invest in first should it be a strong product leader or should it be someone really hands-on who I who I can throw into the dirt and get the work done? I'm going to give you the most product answer ever, which is the, the it probably depends. But okay, but I can give you it from my point <laughs> of view. You're dead a lot. I will give it to you from my point of view and if it was me, and then we can, ex I guess we can extrapolate to see if, if that makes sense. So if it was me and... Even if I was a founder and I decided that I wanted to be the CEO, I would still want someone who is equally comfortable in, in the execution of product management as well as being like a, a strategic thinker, if that makes sense. And I would probably look for someone who had maybe not necessarily been in a startup before, but someone who can explain their process 
of taking an idea and a product or a feature to market in a very succinct way and have done it a few times. Hmm. I would also look for, and I would look for probably for that profile in the other um, disciplines that I'm looking for as well. So engineering and design, et cetera. Some people who are like equally comfortable with strategic thinking and comfortable in contributing to the direction of the company, as well as like at some point, like pushing pixels or writing Jira tickets. And it's hard because not a lot, if you, a lot of product people, when they reach a certain time in their career that don't want to do, they don't want to sit down and write like, or do story mapping or things like that. Again, they want to maybe run, why not maybe run that. a team? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And Christian would always want to do story mapping. Like his, his whole <laughs> yeah. life is about story maps. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. I think a lot of great Senior product people are great product managers and mm -hmm. are happy, like being great managing of other products, of other product managers. And that's perfectly fine. Early on though, I would pick someone who's comfortable in a little bit of both. And you mentioned mishires. What would you say are like the red flags when hiring a product manager? When should I stop? Right. For early stage. Let's say early stage and mid-level product managers. Yeah, mid-level, yeah. So I think, the, if, yeah, I think with red flags, I, the, it is such a big difference and I don't want to discourage anyone from thinking that they can't do the jump from a big corporate to a startup. Mm -hmm. But I think there is a very big difference between working in a product management environment in a big corporate and being the only product person or maybe the first product person in a startup. So I'm not necessarily saying it's a red flag, but I would, I would really try and dig deep into, do they actually understand what it is, what, what it would take to be the only product person? You're not going to have a mentor. You might not, you might having to do like loads of different things, not just the core of your job. You're probably not going to have a big team of, of engineers around you that can have, that can help you might want to have, you might have to do quite a lot of decisions on your own. And the other important thing here as well is that something that bigger companies are used to that early stage aren't used to is data being comfortable in making decisions. And if you can't make a decision based on data, then how do you get to a point where you can feel more comfortable in the decisions you're making? And that skill set is also like a little bit different than if you like have like endless amount of data, if you're a product manager at Google or Facebook, for example, other red flags that I have personally, just because of the nature of the ever-changing landscape of working in a startup is product people being a little bit too dogmatic about their own processes. It's good to have a backbone that you like, this is where I feel comfortable with. But mm. I would always question people who be like, this is without even knowing what the problem is and like applying, say, oh, we're definitely going to do Scrum or we're definitely going to do Kanban or et cetera, and feeling mm -hmm. a bit rigid in that. Mm. But that is a personal preference just from seeing what has been worked and not worked. For me, Product is a lot more like you're applying different tools depending on like the situation rather than it being like a one process for everything. And this is the same totally. like when you say I am agile, right? I am agile means yeah. everything and nothing. Understanding yeah. the mindset behind it or the philosophy is what many people miss. I heard just recently from an engineering manager from Urbi saying that it's easy to call it agile or it's easy to say I want to start with agile, but it's way harder to implement it and make it work. But I think yeah, it's even 100%. a little bit this problem that maybe also some certificates introduced, right? It's so easy to be 
Agile certificate, Scrum master, whatsoever. And I see those people coming in companies and they have, as you say, like they follow certain frameworks strictly. They have no flexibility and they think they're doing it because they've heard it, learned it and so on. But I think it's just such a more flexible kind of working style that's needed when you work on a product, especially in an early startup where you don't have the structure that you might have at Google and Facebook and whatsoever. Yeah, and, when I, think, talk and about, I think and when we talk about processes, how do you set up product <clears throat> processes, especially in early stage? Let's say there is right now a founder and a couple of engineers who just want to get started. And as long as you don't have the money or the priority to hire a product manager, you need to do it by yourself. How do mm -hmm. you set up a product slash engineering process in early stage companies? Firstly, have a very clear vision of where you want to go. So that could be a vision for the company or it could be a vision for the product mm. Have a, or have a clear vision of what you think that the first version of your product is. Work backwards from that and think about how much you want to learn along the way and build out a process based on how quickly you actually do think that you can move. And like, and it could be as easy as just like setting up fortnightly sprints and doing daily standup like you can dwell mm. and going from zero to one, you could potentially take away stuff like having, like thinking about your velocity, et cetera, because doing a three month time, like if you're going, if you're building your very first product, getting to that sense of velocity is less important, but knowing that you're learning and that you're learning the right things is more important. Something that does that, there is there's lots of good tools out there, continuous discovery and things like that. We're big proponents of at Founders Factory as well to think of constantly learning. So I think like an initial process should be starting with starting with your vision, how and when you want to get there, what is important to learn along the way and set up something from that. Recently, I had a second look at Basecamp's book, Shape Up. I don't know if you're mm -hmm. familiar, yeah. which has some really cool elements in there, which we've tried out with some project at Founders Factor. I'm excited to get a bit more learnings in that. But since we're geeking out, I might as well share now. But it's uh, what I find interesting is that I really like the idea of not having a backlog or deleting a backlog completely because I just think that yeah. like long list just makes everyone stressed. So what I really liked about the, the when I went back to it and when I went back reading it and started thinking about it more from like the context of like very early stage, zero to one at Founders Factory, I was like, but this makes quite a lot of sense if you either break it down in terms of, okay, so what you could imagine and what hypothesis are we pitching that are most important to learn? What is the length of time that we want to, that we want to work in? Do we want to work in three weeks? They suggest six weeks. We have tried a few smaller ones and it really creates focus for teams. And so like, this is the one thing that we are building and, and, and releasing uh, potentially, or what we're learning during this time period to creating tasks around that pitch. And like what we think the problem is to solve after the period of time, delete and apply for new pitches and then you discuss as a team or what's important next time based on those learnings. Yeah, I really like that. And that, and by, the, by default, you have created an agile process just by thinking about what is the most important thing to learn during this time and then moving on to something else based on those if learnings. You, if you have stuff in your backlog which hasn't been tackled already since three, four or five months, then it's very likely that you won't tackle it in the next weeks as well. So that's all I'm also fine of. Yeah, I would say three or four, five weeks even. You could probably I agree. already yeah, I mean, You can't even go that far. <laughs> Everything which is more than three sprints, I usually say, which is six weeks, 
just delete it. I, I yeah. mean, for sure, if you are an enterprise business company and you have bug tickle where uh, people have paid money for a fix or companies have uh, paid mm. for a fix, for sure, you can prioritize mm. it accordingly. But you have any way longer and slower uh, release cycles than in a startup. So therefore, my recommendation is if you are flexible enough, shorten your backlog as, as soon as possible. Yeah, Close everything which is older yeah. than and then put we in should, your time. We should just have a plugin for Jira that simply sweeps everything that's old. It's, yes. And it does it secretly, so you don't even notice. And yeah. it phases out <laughs> into this Getting rich with yeah, Jira exactly. plugins <laughs> is so easy these days. Really. You just build a plugin, yeah. you charge people for, uh, I don't know, 100 bucks for 100 users, and the more users they have, the more it costs. But we, do, we don't show that on the App Store, we just show 100 bucks, and then you're Christian, a big enterprise you're, company. You're, you click you're, the one, you're one step ahead. We're, we're not thinking about monetization here. Like We yeah. just want to have this plugin that silently cleans up every single yeah. bug. Uh, I want a win, Alex. <laughs> yeah. I wonder what the data is. I wonder if Atlassian would ever share the data of the amount of finished tickets versus unfinished tickets in Jira, like at oh. any given point in time. It'd be interesting to know. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we should apply as data scientists. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I think the, the data Atlassian has on understanding how companies build products mm. and what, how their products look like. So this must be amazing. Just Probably. just writing a book about it and, and rethinking. Yeah. <laughs> about data. Rethinking Scrum. Let's imagine you have started your company and you started your mm -hmm. business, but you don't have data. And for sure, it's good to talk to, to customers, <laughs> but how can I nail that down as the first PM or the first yeah. product lead in the company to really make it database decisions yeah so i i talked to a product person the other day who put it who put it quite simply and said that there is always data mm. there is always you might not have as simple access to it as before you might have nothing in your database but there, like the data is there for you to collect it somehow and i think that the first step if you are in a place and i think that the people get obsessed with the collection of data but Again, I, I want to stress that the data is only important if you know what you're learning. So always stop what it is that you want to learn and create a simple test for yourself or an experiment for yourself to and get an understanding of what that learning is. And you start in collecting data. If your test is, if your experiment is like running some landing page ads to attract like an initial waiting list, for example, like you have, you can have some hypothesis around who you might attract and match that. If you're doing like more of a customer discovery piece, you could have an hypothesis around how they would feel about different value propositions of the product. You could talk to them. You can do more qualitative reaches. Then that's data. And then you like, you obviously re refine it. It becomes more quantitative over time, but. I think work backwards from what it is that you're thinking that you need to learn. I think the simple top-down or bottom-up analysis can sometimes be so helpful. Now, by just starting with, mm -hmm. I don't know, you want to start selling bread in New York. I'm making this yeah. or croissants in New York. <laughs> yeah, you wanted to hear a croissant example, Sebastian. Mm -hmm. Now you get it. No, we go. But let's say you want to sell <laughs> sell croissants in in New York. Does that make sense? So you check how many people living in the hood where you mm -hmm. want to open your store. You check out what the average consumption of bread and stuff like that is in this area you can break that down so you can also generate data by using common sense by breaking things yep. top down or bottom up and then making your conclusion which is for sure not the most professional way if you but, but if you just want to mm. get started with it you have at least some data points you can make use of and that give you a direction you can work towards 
Exactly. And I think that the key there is direction, because I think that, and yep. that's another, I guess, the difference between having a, a conclusive data set versus what you're actually looking for is signals. So mm -hmm. another thing that we, that I stress teams doing early on is that when you're creating these experiments or like when you're testing these hypotheses, try for you guys as a team to decide on what an expected result could be. So not just like deciding what the test would be, but also deciding what the, what the expected results would be before you do the experiment. So for example, if we take your, what you said, Christian, let's say that the experiment is that we want to try and figure out if people would want to purchase uh, croissants in Brooklyn, in uh, New York, on this specific street or whatever it is. Maybe you suggest yeah. back on Baker Street. <laughs> oh my God. Um, <laughs> it took me quite some time to actually get this joke. Yeah, yeah that's good. Far well too done. long. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. good. I like it. Let's say it's on Baker Street and maybe your suggestion of, a, of an experiment is, okay, before we open the store, I want to create like a, I want to create like a landing page. I want to, I want to make it seem like that we are opening and I want to see if I can get people in that area excited about the business that I'm opening somehow. Maybe that's you going there and creating like little flyers and putting in people. And then maybe there is like a little like code that they sign in for saying, oh, this is exciting. Maybe it's a landing page. Maybe it's doing like a pop-up or like a prototype. Maybe you just go and sell croissants directly to people's houses. Yeah. COVID-friendly, obviously. Whatever the experiment is that we have decided is the lightest experiment that we can run in order to get the learning that we're looking for. And for us as a team to decide, okay, what would good look like from this experiment? Like what, is the, what would a good signal be for us to be able to decide, yes, this is now we have now this is now something that we believe in and we can continue it in the further in the product development process because it also creates a bit of like alignment in the team because mm -hmm. it could be that christian Grish goes away and does the experiments for example and he comes back and say hey i talked to 40 brooklynites and 20 of them were super excited and pre-ordered four four croissants each and me and alex go that's just 50 percent like we wanted at least we want at least 35 out of 40. You see mm -hmm. what I mean? Yeah. And then what do you do? So the hypothesis also needs to be measurable, you're saying. So the moment you start yeah. the experiment, you have you should have some clear criteria in place that need to be mm -hmm. matched to say, hey, it's proven or disproven. Yeah. And also an alignment piece of there in the team is, is important that we have an understanding of what we think good looks like. Because even if it's disproven afterwards, or even if it's like doesn't come to the expected result, we can at least decide, we can at least discuss around it. So even if it's like, oh, it was only, we only got to X and we expected Y, we can say actually looking at all the different things and seeing, we still feel based on this result, we still feel quite comfortable that this is all right, or it's not, or we want to do another test or whatever it is. Cool. But so Sebastian, bef before we try and slowly wrap it up, what, there's one thing that I'm still curious about, which is mm -hmm. when starting or when going from zero to one, what are the people that I need to have a successful team? Should I start with some engineers in place to be able to build it? Or should I fake it with some Envision prototypes? Or what's the mm. best suggestion? Yeah, so I would, 
I wouldn't necessarily say that I would build it from the start. I think you can start with loads of prototyping, etc. However, I do think that if you're not technical yourself, having engineer and someone like even if that's an advisor, or if it's a friend, having someone that you can lean on for those conversations early on is really useful. I think as much as possible, have a cross functional team. And I think that is one of the reasons why people people get so excited when they join Founders Factory, because that's exactly what you get, like you get access to people that you might not necessarily know, like experts in their fields. But I would even but I would suggest that people try and emulate that, even if they don't have the budget to have someone that they can talk to on the design front, on the product front, on the engineering front, maybe even on the marketing and growth front or sales, like people that you can trust on that are in their field that you can discuss the ideas with and how do you move forward before you hire your own team. And the reason for that is that the people work with different experience have different opinions and you could, even if you're not building something directly, if we take the engineering example, you could, what you having someone there that you can discuss with and talk to, you can de-scope so much stuff that you might do in the mm. future, right? You mm. might get a better understanding, like further down the line, okay, what is potentially possible and not possible and what is potentially the best path to move forward. So I would always try and have as much of that input as possible early on. Mm -hmm. All right. Then I would cool. say we can wrap it up. Two questions. Fun. I have two more questions, Sebastian. So number one like would be, what would be three key tips you would share to aspiring CEOs or early stage product managers? Three tips. Three of your personal favorite tips when you get started with product. Okay. My okay. So let's not be. So let's try not be too vague, though. Yeah. Free personal tip. I would suggest that read either of these three books. <laughs> that was so, my second question. Think. I want to ask which book would you recommend? <laughs> okay. Cool. Okay. Cool. We let, let's. You can edit this later, and then you okay. can. We can go back to that. We can go okay. back to the okay. second question then. Okay. Cool. So tips that I would that I would give is. It's, it sounds vague, but being uncomfortable with uncertainty is, is definitely like a big one that you most likely are going to fail in 90% of the things that you try early on. And that is great because that is learning and that will help you going, going the right way. And as part of that, I think that if you are the first product manager in a startup and you're new to that role, or if you're CEO and you're building something else, talk to as many people who are in a similar situation or has been in, in that similar situation before, maybe even get like a product advisor or a, a, or if you're a product person, maybe like a mentor who someone that you can reach out to. I think that our community is so friendly that I think that if you find someone that you really look up to, people want to give their time. So yeah. I think I would definitely do that. And then another thing that I like doing and I tell other product people to do as well is, is really try and build something yourself. And with that, what I mean is if you are the only product person, or if you are the, the CEO in early on, see how far you can get on your own so that you really get to grips on like the different parts of your business, learn, maybe go in and learn like envision and see like if they take a pen and paper and sketch out and go to talk to customers yourself and don't lean to other people mm. to talk to see and then See here, like, so you can also like expand on what it is that, okay, so this is my comfort zone. This is what, how far I can get this and then move on from there. Cause you get a better understanding of, okay, cool. I, if I really need to do this myself, then how far can I get? Yeah. Is that free? Let's that go with free. that. Yeah. I like this one a, a lot <laughs> because 
not only that to see how far you can go on the other hand also mm. doing all these things you will appreciate way more the help from other people the moment you start yeah. hiring people I, and i think it's it's also about the empathy right because you yeah. start building empathy with the different roles and i think exactly. that's, that's that's the one thing um that i usually <laughs> also tell designers have the yeah. empathy for the developer for the product person and for whoever is the ceo of the company and understand why they're saying mm -hmm. why they're doing things and where they're coming from and this is such a key thing and if you once did it yourself and you have a little mm -hmm. bit of understanding of how things work then this helps you a lot yeah i mean sure. that is the two yeah sorry go for it now i was gonna say i was just gonna finish and i think it's i think it's that is 100% correct. And I think that uncertainty and empathy and resilience are the three main pillars on the coaching framework, which Christian knows as well. And I think we have talked about all three of them, but yeah, so that definitely when it comes to building empathy, it's really hard to get unless you're in, unless you really try and be in someone else's shoes, including customers. Yeah. Question number two, which mm -hmm. book <laughs> would you recommend? What's your favorite book yeah. for product leaders or... CEO I have a déjà vu. And please don't say <laughs> yes. zero to one. <laughs> no, it's not zero to one, even though that's the one thing we're talking about. All right. Can I have two? Sure, please. The more, the better. Okay. Okay. I might have... Okay. There might be more done. Everyone has read Marty Kagan, which, which is a fantastic book. And it's still the one that I tell everyone who's asking about... Yeah. Who's new to product, who's asking about what product management really means. That is the book to go. I do think that... If you're looking for some, if you're looking for a book with a lot more practical advice, Melissa Perry's Escaping the Build Trap is excellent. It's really good. If you want books that I think have helped me in terms, but it's not necessarily like filed under product management and Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel yep. Kahneman, just because I think that in terms of the, there is a lot of. It's a lot of things that we can, that product people can learn from like the behavioral economics and behavioral psychology space. Yeah. And that book is um, excellent. And recently I read a book that I am, that I think is going to be really helpful. And I think a lot of people might find helpful as well, which is never split the difference. Oh yes. And, and, yeah, yeah, exactly. And he, and it's, yeah, it's just, I think that sometimes we underestimate The power of negotiation. How important, how important negotiation is in our I role. Agree. And it really, it was really eye-opening for me because like a lot of the tips that he gives is, is the complete opposite to what I thought negotiation was. It's super um, practical. So there's so many yeah. good insights. And on top of that, I recommend reading Getting to Yes as well. Oh, yeah. Which uh, is the it, book it, that it he references it a lot, right? Uh, Never Split the Difference talks about it. They are mm. not the biggest fan of the philosophy from Getting to Yes, mm. but I still recommend doing this and finding yeah. your own style and you can negotiate everything is the third book i read all this free right. uh, one after the other <laughs> and i can tell you my negotiation skills were boosted <laughs> i feel like this is becoming like a book club kind of show now yeah oh, man, we can, yeah. We can add the links to also to the to the description yeah. but sebastian mm. it was a pleasure talking yeah. to you one final thing where can people mm -hmm. follow and find you On the internet. Yeah, on the internet, yeah. So they can find me at AdSebSub on Twitter. That's probably the the easiest thing. Nice. We will do that. <laughs> for, shame, for a shameless plug. Yeah. Hashtag no advertisement. We will make here. sure 
yeah, to sorry. put everything in the description as well. And <laughs> cool. <laughs> exactly. All right, Sebastian, thank you very much for the insights. Thank you. Alex and I will, as usual, jump now into our debrief. And cool. looking forward to talking to you again, Sebastian. Cool. Welcome back, Christian. Another Hello. debrief round after another great session. I have to say, just summarizing a little bit for the audience, today we actually changed some things in terms of like constantly iterating and trying to improve how we do things. Mm -hmm. So we both upgraded to some microphones. I have to admit, I still need to get used to it and talk in the right direction and don't move around in case that's something you might hear um still need to get used to it but yeah also on this side always happy to get some feedback here if we need to improve something we still have our email address it's the hello at productbakery.com but with that hello side, dash um, productbakery.com yes Thank you. Hello at product-bakery.com. With that said, Christian, back to you. What's your summary or how do, how do you feel after the talk? How I feel is that the topic of hypothesis-driven development and also research, as well as data in general, is something we touched now a couple of times in our episodes and with other people. But this time, I really liked how Sebastian deals with uncertainty by saying you're not necessarily looking for the answer, but you're looking for signals and direction by taking a couple of hypotheses and trying to iterate on them as quick as possible and still having uncertainty in place, but seeing a kind of signal that guides you in a direction where you feel comfortable enough to execute upon This is something that I think people usually underestimate because they think too complex and too big, but it's really good sometimes to go the easy way and say, hey, I don't have necessarily all the data I want or I could potentially get in 20 years, but I just take mm -hmm. what I have. I formulate a couple of hypotheses. And as Nikki last time said as well, I define some goals with it that I know how to measure and What yeah. does good mean as as, as yeah. said? I wanted to say that S And then just shoot it Sebastian out. also yeah. brought that up. How about you? Yeah. I think it definitely also got that one as a reminder. And it just also closes a little bit the loop between the different functions. If we talk about coming up with a hypothesis and validating them, this is what research is about. So it's simply, again highlighting the importance of researching the product in the develop mm -hmm. product development phase or in product development in general. One thing that I wanted to bring up again because we it was only a small note in what Sebastian was saying and it's about hiring product managers for all the new or soon-to-be product managers that are looking for a job. One thing that was interesting to me is when Sebastian talked about coming from big companies and not having the data. And I think there might be 
this, and I think that especially junior product managers, when they interview for a company, they obviously know about best practices and what's important. And there is probably many people who would raise exactly like wanting to have the data, who would raise following like strict processes. And this is exactly the opposite of what Sebastian said. It's about also being flexible sticking to the uncertainties, knowing that you won't have all the data in uh, early startups. So if you want to land your job, make sure that is your mindset and make sure that you're also fully aware that when you move into such a company and when you work zero to one, you won't have everything in place. You won't be able to follow the super perfect process right away it will be something that needs to be established it will is something that needs time and it's something that needs flexibility and if i would go back into my old interviews probably too often i i also tried to sell myself too much along the lines of knowing the best practices and maybe forcing them or trying to force them into some companies I do have to say, I haven't considered this big company, small company distinction since a long time when I was hiring, because I believe that product managers generally should be pragmatic when it comes to dealing with your environment, your processes, your teams, etc. Nevertheless, it's definitely something you should consider when you a look for a job as someone in a big or a small company or vice versa. And also from the other point of view, by being a company hiring people. What I want to say is that both is great to start a career. So you can go into a big company and you will be from day one in a very structured environment where you can, for example, work in best practices, set up processes, be process driven and data driven. On the other hand, you are do, you are really hands on, you are touching all different types of the system, you're working across all departments. Mm -hmm. So both can make you a good product manager. It's important for people to figure out what you want to do. Ab absolutely. Do you feel more comfortable in a fast-changing environment but I think or do you rather want to work in a structured environment? Yeah, I. it's definitely not about the experience that you have. And I think uh, and Sebastian yeah. pointed this out as well. Like You can hire people from big companies. I think it's a mindset thing. And it's not only important for the company who's hiring, it's also important for the yep. person who's looking for a job because if you land your job with the expectation that you have like a data analyst sitting there, that you have a massive data warehouse behind you and a lot of like business intelligence yep. that you can rely on and then you're sitting there as the first solo product manager and maybe have a designer and a couple of engineers and you have a leadership team that expects you sure. to deliver. Yeah, agree. Good luck. I, I think it's also about understanding what you want to do. Again, for both sides, understanding who you're looking for, understanding what you want to do, having the right mindset for it, being fully conscious of what, what you, you will get. up for. And yeah, yeah. And then enjoying the ride and every ride is fun. And in your career, you should definitely make all the experiences. Think great final words, Alex. One more little thing to share with our audience. You can also slowly start following us on social media. If you look up product bakery, the product bakery show on LinkedIn, 
reshare our posts or drop a couple of comments. We're happy to interact with you. And also you can anytime reach out to Alex and myself in LinkedIn. And with that, thank you very much and talking to you next week. Yeah, enjoy the weekend. Mm -hmm.